You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode 232. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Each week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, and today's topic has been one, honestly, that has been pretty long coming. It's a topic I get asked all the time about, and I actually am kind of surprised that I didn't haven't recorded a podcast until, you know, here in the, the 200s about this topic, because it is a doozy, and it's one that a lot of people are curious about, and that is intermittent fasting and carb cycling. But before we dive into the topic, let me tell you about something that's coming up. If you are tired of your only tool for transformation being restriction and deprivation and cutting out food groups, and you want to be someone who can look in the mirror and actually see a visible transformation, and you're like me and you aren't willing to cut out sugar to get there, then macro counting is the tool that is missing from your tool belt. But just like any tool, any hammer, a saw, The tool is really only as effective as the person who is wielding the tool actually makes it. And what I see time and time again are women who start using the tool of macro counting without really understanding how to do it. They don't understand how to set or adjust their macros. And this leads them to getting lackluster results, getting frustrated with the process, and scrolling through Instagram just feeling defeated because they're like, well, macro counting worked for that woman. Why the heck didn't it work for me? And then getting to this place where they just quit and you say something silly like, well, I tried macro counting and it didn't work. That's like letting go of a helium balloon and watching it float away and saying, well, I guess gravity just didn't work. No, friend, science is science. Gravity is working just like it should on that balloon. You just don't quite understand the nuances of gravity, right? And it's the same thing with macro counting. The question is not, does macro counting work? Because macro counting is just basic science. The question is, how can I wield that scientific principle? How can I wield that tool of macro counting to get better results? How can I use that tool for my specific situation? And that's what I teach my clients inside of Confidence in Your Numbers. I created Confidence in Your Numbers because I saw a big glaring hole in the market. And that is too many women are relying on expensive coaches to set and adjust their macros for them. Now, I get it. Most coaches want you to pay them and in exchange, they'll set their ma- your macros for you. And then if you want to pay them more money, they'll quote unquote coach you and they'll adjust your macros for you week to week. But of course, they're not going to actually teach you how to do it yourself. Because why? Well, it's simple. It benefits them to make adjusting your macros and setting them feel as complicated and as nebulous as possible. But it's really not that complicated. And well, that's not my business model. I don't want to set your macros for you. And I really don't want you to keep paying me to have me adjust them for you. I would rather teach you how to do it yourself so that you don't have to keep paying someone month to month to do something that really is simple enough for you to do on your own. It's kind of like that comment saying, if you give a woman a fish, she eats for a day. And if you give a woman, teach a woman how to fish, she eats for a lifetime. So the question really is, do you want to be the woman who gets given a fish and then you're left metaphorically to starve when you stop paying for the fish? Or do you want to be the woman who learns how to fish so you can keep snagging those fish for free without having to rely on someone else to feed you? If you're like me and you're the type of woman who wants to learn how to fish, then Confidence in Your Numbers is for you. Confidence in Your Numbers is a live masterclass where I teach you how to set your macros for your unique body. And I teach you how to adjust them over time. Because... Here's the second common mistake that I see a lot of women making when they start counting macros. They set their macros and they're like, oh, success is just as easy as following these numbers to the finish line, which is kind of like saying you can travel the world in a single vehicle, right? Okay, stay with me on this metaphor. So sure, a car is great for driving across the US, but then 
when you hit the Atlantic Ocean, you can't drive that car any further. You have to get into a new vehicle, like a boat or a plane to keep going. And the same thing applies to your macros. If you just set your macros once and keep following them, you're going to plateau, you're going to hit the Atlantic Ocean, and you're going to get frustrated because what you're doing isn't working anymore. And then you're going to quit. And then you're really not going to see results. So just like you have to swap out your vehicle based on the terrain, if you want to avoid plateauing in your journey, you're going to need to adjust your macros throughout the process. And which for some people could feel like it's really complex. And that's what most coaches want you to believe so that you'll pay them to do it. But I'm not like type of coach, which is why inside of Confidence Your Numbers, I've simplified adjusting macros into something that anyone can learn. And it allows you to skip the overpriced coach, accelerate your results and keep your hard earned money in your pocket. So if you want to learn to set and adjust your own macros, come join me for my live paid masterclass on July 28th. You can go to my website right now and you can purchase a prior recording of Confidence in Your Numbers. It's always on sale for $199. But because I will be delivering this class live, which is always more fun anyway, if you join before July 28th, you'll get all the secrets about setting and adjusting your macros for just $99. And because confidence in your numbers is the perfect step to take before signing up for Macros 101, we also allow you to apply what you pay towards confidence in your numbers into Macros 101, which means if you're listening to this and you plan to join us for the next round of Macros 101 at the end of August, joining confidence in your numbers is essentially free because the investment you make in confidence in your numbers will be applied towards your Macros 101 enrollment which is super cool. So if you're ready to finally snap that after picture that you've always wanted, come and join my live masterclass, Confidence in Your Numbers, and you're going to walk away with all those secrets that most coaches won't share about how to set and adjust your own macros. To sign up, go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash confidence to get registered for class. And I'll see you on July 28th. That's bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash confidence. Okay, so let's dive into the topic of carb cycling and intermittent fasting. Two things that have really come into vogue, I feel like, in the last little while. You know, they've been around for a long time, but I feel like it's something that it's more in the mainstream general population. People are talking about it, people are trying it out, people are testing it. And let's talk about why you may do it, what some of the benefits potentially could be, what my take on on it is, and what your take. I actually asked on Instagram your experience with carb cycling and intermittent fasting. And so I'll share a little bit of what I received um, in DMs about it. So let's start with carb cycling. Um, Well, okay, before we dive into that, let me just preface this and say, (laughs) I created this as a rant episode. So if you've listened to any of my rants before, you know that a rant episode allows me to be a little freer with what I say and not feel like I have to like couch my words so carefully. Okay. So just know that listening to a rant episode, I'm going to share what I think. I'm going to share my opinion and it's just my opinion. I'll share some science and facts as well. But, um, I like, I like the rant episodes cause I can just say what I think and not have to like filter so much. So just know that going into this episode, this is a rant episode and you guys tend to like them. So We're going to dive in. So let's start with carb cycling. So what the heck is carb cycling? Carb cycling is typically when you fluctuate between eating low carb foods and then higher carb foods. And typically people will split them into days. So you'll have like high carb days mixed with low carb days. Now, if you understand how macros relate to calories, and if you don't understand that, go listen to episode 143, because I talk about that topic. So it's, it's a little bit of an introductory into the relationship between macros and calories. But if you understand that, you know that each of the macronutrients, carbs, fat, and protein have a certain caloric value. And so you can start to see that if you are cycling your carbs, meaning some days are higher carb days and other days are lower carb days, people who carb cycle typically end up calorie cycling as well. So they will often eat lower calorie on the low carb days and more calories on the high carb days. Now that's not always how it is, but but if you're just manipulating the carbohydrate amount, then you're inherently going to be calorie cycling alongside of of carb cycling. Now, with carb cycling, you 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 have to kind of do this in conjunction with macro counting. You need to know how many carbs you're eating, so inherently you need to be tracking 
and paying attention to the amount of, of carbs that you are, you know, tracking that during the day. So this isn't like carb cycling is something that is layered on top of macro counting. It's like you're already macro counting and now we're going to have slightly different macros on different days and different targets that you're hitting on different days. Some are higher carb and some are lower carb. So this really is more of, um, you know, an intermediate or advanced strategy. And that's the first thing that I want to say about carb cycling is that unfortunately I see a lot of people coming in and their very first experience with macro counting is with also layering on carb cycling on top of it. And it's like, you're already taking something that has a learning curve. Macro counting has a learning curve to it. And you're layering something that makes it even more complicated and even more challenging of having now different macros on different days. And some days that are higher calorie and lower calorie and some days that are higher carb and lower carb, you're taking something that has a learning curve and adding more complexity to it. I don't think that's that's the best way to go about it. I think for most people that becomes very overwhelming. And I see a lot of women who come into macro counting trying to layer on carb cycling right away and become very overwhelmed and confused and quit because it's 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 a lot. It's a lot to be doing all those things at the same time. And so I really think if you're going to carb cycle, and we'll talk about how you can do it, if that's something that you're interested in, in trying out for your body, um, I, I think it needs to be implemented on when you have all of the rocks in place. And when I say rocks, I mean, there are things that move the needle a lot. And if you've ever, there's like, there's like this classic Stephen Covey object lesson where you're, you have a jar and the idea is, and then you have some rocks and sand and, and water. And the idea is how do you fit all of those things into the jar? If you put the water in first and then you try to put the sand in and then you try to put the, the big rocks in, you'll never be able to, like, it won't all fit into the jar. But if you put the big rocks in first and then you put the sand in and it fills in all the little spaces and then you put the water in very last and that sifts through and fills in all the other little spaces, you're going to be able to, you know, fit things into the jar. So it's this idea of like prioritizations, like focus on the big rocks first because then you'll be able to like fit everything in. And that that principle is incredibly true in the fitness world of focus on the things that are going to move the needle the most first. And a lot of people go to little tools and tricks and supplements and things like that that they think are going to move the that may move the needle like 1 or 2%. And yet at the same time, they haven't gotten the big rocks in place. They haven't focused on making sure they're getting enough sleep. They haven't focused on making sure they're getting, you know, a wide variety of, of nutrition. They haven't focused on getting enough, you know, the right amount of calories. They haven't focused on moving their body and, and their workout schedule. Like those are the big rocks. Get those things in place. And then if you want to mess around with, you know, more advanced strategies and, and test it out for your body, knock yourself out. But if you aren't getting enough sleep, <laughs> If you aren't working out on a consistent basis, if you aren't lifting weights, if you aren't, you know, aware of your nutrition and eating a wide variety and 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 you know, at least familiar with how many calories you're eating and that it's the right amount, there there's no use in adding more complexity or more advanced, you know, tools on first before getting your house in order. Okay. So why the heck do people carb cycle? Let's talk about like the strategy behind it or um, the, the philosophy as to why this would be something that you would want to layer on top of, of um, macro counting. We have to understand that your body ha- uh, uses different energy sources. Your body's primary, primary source of energy is glucose. And that comes from carbohydrates. So that's that's the source that your body really likes to use. It's the preferential source. If there is glucose present, your body is going to use the glucose. It's a very easy transition. Um, your body is very adept at using glucose. And so that is the go-to default source. We also have fat storages in our body and your body can burn fat for energy, but it's not as efficient as carbohydrates. So if there is carbs and fat present, your body will default to burning those carbohydrates because it's more efficient for your body. So understanding that helps you to see how some people have kind of made the leap in logic and conclusion that if your body's not going to burn fat unless it's used all the carbs first, 
then, hey, if we took some days where we didn't give our body very many carbohydrates, then that would force the body into using fat for energy. And so the idea is that when you're eating lower carb, you are eliminating that source of carbohydrates, right, that you're consuming in, in your food. And your, your body, you know, uses whatever carbohydrates it has access to. It uses the storages of carbohydrates, which is glycogen. And once that glycogen is gone, it will start using fat for fuel. And that sounds really awesome because most people are wanting to burn more fat on their body. So of course we would want our body to, we would want to force our body to use fat for fuel. So that is the idea of like where um, carb cycling came in to fruition. This, this idea that, oh, if we could force our body to use fat, we would be able to burn more body fat. And that sounds like a great idea. There also is this push that carb cycling um, has been theoretically thought to prevent metabolic adaptation. We talk about metabolic adaptation. It's one of the reasons we do reverse dieting, this idea that your body adapts to whatever it is that you you know, push at it. And so uh, oftentimes we'll see metabolic adaptation downregulating the amount of calories that a person burns. And so over a period of time, if you're eating less calories, your body is going to burn less and less and less and less because your metabolism is going to adapt to what you feed it. And so if um, the idea is if you cycle your calories and you have some high days and have some low days, perhaps that would mitigate that metabolic adaptation occurring. The other push that is, you know, behind a lot of people who carb cycle, a reason that they say they do it is because it helps regulate the hormone leptin, which is really responsible for hunger cues that your body is giving you. So the way that leptin works is that the more fat you have on your body, typically the higher your leptin levels in your blood. And leptin basically tells your body, hey, we're good. You're satiated. You have enough. You're not hungry. Um, because, you know, and you, that makes sense. If you have more fat in your body, you're, you think your body would tell you you're not hungry because you got, you got plenty of storage, okay? However, when you go into a caloric deficit, when you go, you know, you start a cut, automatically, very quickly, your leptin levels start to drop, which is why you start to get hungry. Uh, so it's a natural cycle. You, you go into a caloric deficit, those leptin levels start to drop and your body says, oh, I'm hungry. I'm in, I'm in a deficit. That makes sense as well. Um, so the idea is if we calorie cycle and if we carb cycle, then we can kind of help to regulate you know, regulate leptin. If we have a couple of more days where we're eating a little bit higher calorie, we can kind of restore those leptin levels so we're not as hungry and then have a couple of days at lower calorie. And it's like by the time those leptin levels start to drop, we're back at a higher calorie day so that we're able to restore those leptin levels. That's the idea is that you can, you know, you can cycle, cycle your calories enough that you can kind of stay ahead of the leptin curve to kind of minimize hunger. There's also talk of how it helps with replenishing glycogen storages. So glycogen is stored in your liver and in your muscles. Glycogen is basically the stored, it's like stored glucose. Um, you know, you get, you eat glucose, it goes into your bloodstream, and then you're not going to use all of that glucose usually right at the, at the moment. And so your body has to have a way to store that glucose and it stores it in the form of glycogen inside of your muscles and inside of your liver. And so when you have lower carb days, you're not giving your body as many carbohydrates in the food that you are eating. Your body's going to go tap into those glycogen storages. It's going to deplete the glycogen storages that you have. And um, the idea is if we, and that can make you feel kind of crappy, honestly, and make you feel like you don't have really good training sessions, right? There's glycogen in your muscles. And so if you are depleted in glycogen, that can make training and especially weightlifting feel really, really hard. And so the idea is, is that we can get the benefits of having lower carb days by going lower carb some of the days, depleting those glycogen storages, using our fat as fuel, and then have higher carb days, and those help to replenish those glycogen storages. So the idea is by cycling your carbohydrates, you're able to have some good training days on those like higher carb days, and then use the other days to be able to cycle and deplete those glycogen storages to then be able to move on to use fat. Okay, so that is the idea around carb cycling. And I want to put it out there that 
when, when it comes to science, one of the things that's really important, and if you've done any science work, or you can even remember back to like high school science when you learn like the scientific method, you know that the scientific method goes hypothesis, and then you're going to do some experiment to either confirm or negate that hypothesis and, you know, move forward from that new vantage point. And so it's really important to understand that, you know, as I go over this, you may be nodding your head and be like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Of course I want my body to burn more fat. Of course I want to like regulate my leptin levels. Of course I want to feel less hungry. Of course I want to like replenish those glycogen storages. Like that, it makes a lot of sense. But the important thing to remember is that just because something makes logical sense to us doesn't mean that that's actually how it plays out in the body. And that's what we've seen a lot with carb cycling. Like this when, I, when we talk about this, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I totally get that. This, this seems like something like legit that I should, that, I, that is going to work really well. And, and, and recognize that this is a hypothesis that some people put together. They kind of piece some pieces together and we're like, oh, this seems like it makes a lot of sense. The challenge is, is that when we go like we need to make sure that it is confirmed by research, right? By research that is double blinded and placebo controlled and, you know, as controlled for many, as many variables as possible so that we're able to actually tease out, okay, this made sense in our brain, but does it actually play out in real life? Can we actually see a difference? Is there data to support this hypothesis that we have created? And in, in the term of carb cycling, it doesn't really play out in the research. Now, I am neither pro nor anti-carb cycling. We'll talk about my opinion on this in, in just a minute. Um, also share your guys' opinion on it That when I asked you on, on Instagram. Um, I'm neither pro nor anti-carb cycling. I, I, I honestly, like, I'll talk about when, if you want to try out this, this, uh, this tactic, when that would be the time to do it and how to do it. But what I'm really here to do is I just want you to make really educated decisions that fit for you and to understand what you're getting into, understand what the research is saying, and understand before you try this experiment on yourself of like what the background is about it, why it might work, why it might not, what the research says. And then once you have that information, if you want to make the decision to go and go try it out and test it on yourself, knock yourself out. I'm, I'm all for that. So the problem with carb cycling is that there aren't a ton of research that has been done on humans in terms of carb cycling. And so, you know, if we're, if we're looking at things from a scientific perspective and, and science that has been supported and repeated in scientific studies, right? There's, there's also a level of, um, you know, you can find a scientific study to prove just about anything that you're trying to argue. One scientific study in and of itself does not tell us a ton. You know, it's a start and all research gets started somewhere. So it has to start with a single study, but the body of research that grows over time. And if that single study is then replicated by other people in other, you know, circumstances and other fields and not necessarily fields, but like in other areas, right? So it's like not just one researcher who found this this evidence, but now multiple researchers in multiple cities or countries or, you know, in the world have found the same reproducible evidence that really starts to bolster how sure we are that, that this actually takes place. Like the, the research and the results that we're getting from the research actually are reproducible in multiple, you know, areas that really hasn't happened with carb cycling yet. So on a scale of like 10 being like, yes, this is very well research supported, lots of research, meta-analyses, um, you know, multiple people saying the same thing, getting the same evidence. And, 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 you know, one being like, there's zero evidence for this. This is just like a hypothesis that like nobody's tested out. Carb cycling is much closer to the one than it is to the 10. And I think that's important to understand, you know, as you go into this, that I always love to share and help women to implement things that have been scientifically shown to actually be productive. I'm a, you know, I, if you know my background, you know that I'm a nurse. Science is, you know, my language. I did a lot of science in college. Um, and I like to base the things that I'm telling people to do 
on, hey, there's a body of research that really supports this. This is not me just making it up. It's not just me like hypothesizing that this may work. It's like there's a body of research that is is supporting this. So carb cycling does not have that body of research yet. And until it does, it's not something that I'm going to say, hey, you should do this. Because it just doesn't, it's not supported really yet. And maybe it will be. Maybe it, it will play out, but we're not there yet with the research. The reason that I think carb cycling becomes really a, appealing to a lot of people, and I think this is a really important point. This is where we start to get into like part of the ranty, right? We move from like the sciencey to like the I'm just gonna talk freely about what I think about this. I think that carb cycling lures a lot of people in. Because there is this inherent belief that the more complicated something is, the better it works. And so people, we just have this, we just have this like thought that it's like, oh, something that's really simple isn't gonna make a big difference. So let me go for like the more complicated thing because that's gonna be the thing that makes a big difference. And so back to what I was talking about with the rocks of like getting the rocks in place, like the really boring rocks of like, are you getting, you know, seven plus hours of sleep at night, every night? Are you exercising, you know, 30 minutes a day, five plus days a week? Are you eating and, you know, at least having an awareness of the amount of calories that you're eating and pretty consistent on that on a daily basis? Like those, those are boring. I get it. It's boring. It's simple. Simple doesn't always mean easy, but it's simple. Eat less, move more. I mean, that's simple. And so people disregard it because it's simple and they want to go for like the shiny, flashy, like new, oh, this is complicated. Oh my gosh. I have to like cycle my carbs. That's so much harder. It must work better. (laughs) And my friends, it's not that way. Like just because it's harder does not mean that it's better. Just because it's more complicated does not mean that it's better. And, and this is really where I tend to put carb cycling if you're doing it before you got all your rocks in place, you're you're having a missed opportunity. You're focusing way too much time and attention on something that may move the needle a little a little bit, but in reality, you're missing like the big rocks. You're missing the things that are going to really move the needle. And if you just spent the energy you were spending on figuring out your carb cycling, on figuring out your macros and sticking with them, you probably would get much better results. Okay, so I also asked on Instagram what your guys' experience is with carb cycling. And here, it was interesting to read these. I, I really enjoyed reading experiences that you've had. So your take was was mixed, and I expected it to be mixed, I, and I feel like it was bifurcated, where it was like either you really liked it or you really hated it. <laughs> There's like not a whole lot of in, in between. And I kind of expected that. It was, it was very bifurcated. Love it or hate it. Nothing, not much in the, in the middle. So some of the things, some of the people who really liked it, they said they liked it because it increased their food variety, which I totally get. You know, if, on high carb days, um, you may be able to have a bagel. And on low carb days, maybe you have a little bit higher fats and now you're able to have nuts. Whereas if you have consistent calories and consistent macros all the day, all the days, maybe you're not able to like fit a bagel in or fit a, you know, nuts in quite as easily. And so some of you really liked the variety of food that you could have. You could have different foods on high fat days versus um, higher carb days. Uh, Same thing with like flexibility with weekends. It sounded like some people like to put their higher carb days on the weekends and that allowed them a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more calories over the weekend. Um, And somebody said that they felt like their high carb days were like a reward and kind of helped her stick with her like lower carb and lower calorie days. And so it was, it was kind of like a, just every three days they knew that they were going to have like a higher calorie day. So kind of helped them on those two lower calorie days to be like, okay, this is only for two days. It was like a little sprint, right? A two day sprint versus the like marathon that you're running that it's like, oh, when is this going to be over? It was like two days. And then I know that I'm going to have a day that's going to be a little bit higher carb calories and carbohydrates. On the other side, many of you said that you really struggled, especially on the low carb days with lack of energy, crankiness, hunger, uh, and a lot of just general things that tend to come with with low carbohydrates. Your body is being depleted of of glycogen. It's being depleted of, of glucose, which is its primary energy source. So it totally makes sense that you're going to feel a little bit tired or more lethargic or maybe a little crankier on those days. And a lot of people said that they didn't like that. A lot of you guys said it felt like an unnecessary step. It just felt like a complicated 
application uh, to macro counting. Uh, and uh, you know, many of you said that it, maybe you tried it, but it felt like it was impossible to do forever. Like it, you could do it, use it for a period of time, um, but that it didn't, it wasn't anything that you could do long term. So should you do it? Again, I'm not pro or anti. I want to just give you the information and you can make decisions about, about your body. But I would say if you are wanting to test out carb cycling, you got to check some boxes. Like, are you already exercising regularly? Are you already getting plenty of sleep? Are you already, you know, eating mindfully? Are you already eating plenty of fiber? Are you already eating, you know, whole foods, <laughs> getting enough vegetables? You know, like those type of things are you checking those boxes first? Are you already macro counting and you, you got it? Like it's, it's not a big deal. You're good at tracking. You're good at hitting your numbers. It's no big deal. You've gotten over that learning curve. If all of those are a yes, you're like, check, 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 check. Yes, Amber, I would like something else to like test out or try or experiment with. Cool. Then maybe carb cycling is something that you want to give a go. But if you are already inconsistent with macro counting, you're struggling with like, binging or you're eating lots of processed food or you're not getting good sleep or you're you're working out is sporadic it's not the time to layer on a complexity like carb cycling in in my opinion okay so, so we aren't even sure that this like does anything there's not a lot of research to support it so get the big rock and there's a ton of research to support sleep and you know let you know whole foods and fiber and you know, all exercise, like there's a ton of research that supports that. So let's get the things that the research actually supports before we start experimenting with things that maybe research, there's not enough research to really support it yet. Um, it also, and again, it can be used, I think, more effectively with someone who is lean, who's trying to get leaner. So if you, so again, I think of this, this to me brings up the idea of like a competitor, like a fitness competitor, someone who's going to get on stage, who's already lean. They're trying to get like to the leanest body fat percentage they can, you know, maybe carb cycling gives you that extra oomph, that extra like one to 2%. It's like supplements. Supplements are never going to give you the body that you want all by themselves. They may give you like an extra one to 2%, but you only add supplements. You only add carpocycline if everything beneath it is already on point. Okay. Now, the one thing that I will say about carb cycling, again, I don't hate on carb cycling, but I would ask you if you've tried it or if you want to try it, one of the questions in the back of your head is, am I enjoying this? Do I like this? Am I enjoying the variety of food? Am I enjoying like high versus carb, low carb days? Maybe working out during the high carb days, you feel really good. Like if you enjoy it, knock yourself out. I love it. Great. If you like it and it makes the process more enjoyable for you, it makes it feel like less of a grind. It gives you some variety and you just like dig it, go for it. But I want you to do it knowing that it likely isn't going to give you any magical results. It may not even give you an extra one to two percent. Like we don't even know that. Um, there just is not enough research to support that. And the experience that I've had with clients is carb cycling doesn't get them magically better results. And for a lot of people, it just becomes one more thing to have to focus on that makes it a lot more complicated and a lot harder to stick to. And if that's the case, I really just it's, it's not going to make that big of a difference. Okay. So you've listened to that and you're like, okay, I still want to try it, Amber. How do I carb cycle? Now I will say I am not an expert on carb cycling. It's not something I've ever enjoyed. I don't like eating low carb. It doesn't make me happy. I'm not a fun person to be around. Uh, so I will share, you know, the principles of carb cycling, but this is not my area of expertise. So if you really want to, if you're like really gung ho about carb cycling, um, I don't know, go find someone who like does it all the time with their clients, but I don't, I don't carb cycle most of my clients. Um, so if you're wanting to carb cycle, uh, first you would set your calories just like you would with, you know, regular macro counting. I have a free guide to be able to set your macros. You can go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash set my macros. You can download that free guide and you can set your calories just as you normally would in a deficit, in a cut. The difference is, is that because you're going to be calorie cycling as well, instead of doing a just standard deficit, I usually recommend between you know a 15 to 20% to 25% deficit. 
you know, every day, if you're just setting your macros consistently for every day, when you're carb cycling, you're typically going to be a little bit steeper of a deficit on those low carb days and a, and a little less of a deficit on those car, high carb days. So something like, you know, a 20 to 25 you know, maybe even as high as 30% deficit on those low carb days. And then something more like a 10% deficit on your high carb days. So when you're setting your macros and in that guide, when you download that guide, you'll, you'll calculate your TDE, your total daily energy expenditure, and then you will create a deficit from that. And so you would create two deficits. You would have your low carb day deficit, which would be, you know, 25 ish percent and your high carb day deficit, which be, it would be more around the 10%. Protein is going to stay the same. You're going to set it just as you would if you were setting your your macros. Usually when you're doing carb cycling, the protein remains the same. High carb days are the exact same as low carb days. Um, And then on the high carb days, about 50% of your calories are going to come from carbohydrates. Whereas on your low carb days, about 20% of your calories are going to come from carbohydrates. So that's going to help you to set those carbohydrate numbers. And then since you know that your carbs and your fat and your protein are going to add up to the total calories, once you've set your carbs and once you've set your protein, then any of the calories that are left over just go to fat. This is the most basic way to set your calories for carb cycling. Notice when you do that, however, your carbs will be cycling, but your fat will be staying the same in in this scenario. If you want to do it a little bit more complex and you want to cycle both your carbs and your fat, so on the lower carb days, you're having higher fat and on the higher carb days, you're having lower fat, you might cycle your calories a little bit less. Maybe you have more of a consistent caloric deficit day to day. And then on those days that you have lower carb, you would push your fat calories up. And then on the days that you have higher carb, you push those fat calories down. So you can either combine you know, carb cycling with calorie cycling. In that case, your, your fat would stay the same and just your carbs would cycle. Or if you want to, you could have more of a consistent deficit and more of a consistent caloric intake, but your, it'll just be the proportion is different on higher carb days. It's lower fat and on lower carb days, it's higher fat. Now, when you're setting your high carb to low carb days, this is where there's a lot of different ideas about how to do it. And again, not a lot of research to support any of these ideas. So I've seen a lot of people do like two in one. So they do two low carb days and one high carb day and then alternate, you know, continue to alternate that. Um, Sometimes people, I've seen people also do like a three or four to three ratio where they're doing four days of high carb and three days of, of low carb per week, right? That equals seven. So it's a little bit more consistent. Whereas when you're doing the two low carb days and one high carb day, it's not going to be, you know, your Wednesday is not always going to be a low carb day. It's going to kind of keep going because it's, you end up getting six in a week instead of seven. Anyway, you know what I mean, right? Like it's, 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 three plus three is six, not seven. Um, So if you want something where it's like every Tuesday is a low carb day, you can go with like a four and three where it's four high carb, three low carb. Uh, And this tends to work better too with, especially with people who are doing strength training, the more strength training you're doing and the more lifting you're doing, the more high carb days you tend to get. You can also do something that's a little bit more variable where it's in line with your lifting sessions. So if you're doing, you know, you're doing a four days of lifting a, a week, you can structure it so that your high carb days are on your lifting days and your low carb days are on your like rest days or your cardio days in between. So you can kind of you can kind of play around with it that way. Again, these are all just like hypotheses. There hasn't been, there's been no research that has compared like a, you know, three a four three carb cycling schedule to a two, one carb cycling schedule. There's just not a body of research. So what I would recommend is getting started, testing it out, seeing how you like it. Do you like, you know, maybe a shorter window where it's like, you know, the person who said, Hey, I really liked it having two low carb days because I knew in, in just a couple days, I was always going to have a high carb day. Uh, Or do you like how you feel a little bit better when you get a little bit more carbohydrates in over a longer period of time and then have a, a slightly longer you know, low carb streak. Okay. So that's how you would do it. If you're wanting to test this out again, this is an experiment. 
if you want to try it, make sure that you have all of the rocks in place before you are layering on something. And just remember, just because it's more complicated doesn't make it any better. In fact, a lot of times overcomplicating something is the exact reason that a lot of people quit because it's overcomplicated. It's too hard. It's too much work. And so weigh that as well as like, only do carb cycling if it's fun and you like it and it makes you stick to it. It makes it more enjoyable. I talk a lot about how important enjoyability is in this process. If you are miserable doing something, it's not going to last. And if you can't do it consistently and it's not going to last, you're not going to get the long-term results that most people want. So enjoyability and sustainability are key. And if that doesn't happen when you're carb cycling, it's not worth it. Okay, let's move on to intermittent fasting. While most diets focus on the what, what you are eating, intermittent fasting focuses on the when and the time period in which you eat. Like carb cycling, there's lots of different ways to implement inter- intermittent fasting, but you know, under a broad umbrella, they basically all are telling you there's a time to eat and there's a time to fast. There's a time to go without food. And that those windows can look different. And, you know, there's lots of different opinions about what's the best window and who should eat in what kind of windows. But as for a general understanding of intermittent fasting, it is like, here's your window of eating and here's your window of fasting. The idea behind intermittent fasting is that, again, the, it, it kind of is related to carb cycling in that the idea is that the body is going to utilize the glucose and the glycogen storages, and then it's going to be left needing to burn fat. And so it's, it's the idea of like becoming more, uh, the ability to be able to go and burn fat. It's, it's, our, it's our backup fuel source. So we want to force the body into using fat. Now, something that I didn't talk about, I probably should have talked about it with the carb cycling, but I'm going to mention it here. And it's the same thing with carb cycling and intermittent fasting. It makes a lot of logical sense that if our body primarily uses glucose and we exhaust the glucose storages and then we force the body to to burn fat, that sounds like a really great deal. I want my body to burn fat. That's what most people say. (laughs) They're like, I couldn't care less how my glycogen storages are doing. I want to burn fat. And so it seems like any technique that we can use to force our body into burning more fat seems like it would be more beneficial for fat loss. But here's the deal. It, that is like, it, you're looking at fat loss in such a um, narrow view that it's easy to see why you miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is this. What matters most is calories in versus calories out. Are you in a caloric deficit? Because if you're in a caloric deficit, your body is going to pull from storages. It's going, you're going to get that fat loss. And, and you know this inherently because you know that there are people who have lost fat who did not carb cycle. There are people who have lost fat who did not intermittent fast. And so this idea that the only way to get your body to burn fat is to like put it in a fat burning mode and exhaust all the glycogen storages, it, it, it doesn't play out in real life because people lose fat without doing carb cycling and they lose fat without doing intermittent fasting. And that is because at the end of the day, what really matters is the total overall caloric intake and the total overall caloric expenditure. And so these ideas of like carb cycling and intermittent fasting, be able to, being able to burn more fat don't actually play out. And that's what I mean is like they don't actually play out in the research to where people lose more fat with intermittent fasting or carb cycling than they do with just a regular old caloric deficit. Okay, so why do people promote intermittent fasting? Um, the idea is often linked to more uh, health benefits, and I and I think there is more research supporting some health benefits rather than actually weight loss benefits. Okay, so though the research supporting intermittent fasting being the key to improved weight loss is not there, and and in this realm there actually is quite a large body of research 
There's been lots of research. There's been systematic reviews of the research. There's been meta-analyses of the research, which is really the top tier of, of research. A meta-analysis is just a research study that looks at all of the body of research, all of the research studies that have been done, and kind of brings it into a conglomerate and analyzes all of the research studies and, and kind of gives this, hey, here's a look at where we're at right now and what the research is currently saying. That's what a meta-analysis is. And there has been meta-analyses about human intermittent fasting. And the researchers found there was no significant benefits related to change in body composition in terms of fat loss, uh, in terms of insulin sensitivity, or in terms of hormones. So that's pretty significant evidence to show that intermittent fasting in itself doesn't actually produce better, more, faster fat loss. So a lot of the potential benefits that are being promoted in terms of intermittent fasting have to do more with health markers. So this idea of um, help for you know improving blood pressure or helping with uh, obesity, uh, specifically related to like di- diabetes. Um, you know, there's been some some proponents of it helping your brain and helping with brain health and and memory. So. You know, some of the benefits that are being tossed out and that, that are in, in the process of being researched a little bit more have to do a lot more with health and a lot less with weight loss. Um, intermittent fasting, just like carb cycling, is not anything magic. The only way that you lose fat is by creating a caloric deficit. doesn't matter if you create that caloric deficit with intermittent fasting, with carb cycling, with regular macro counting, with just eating less food. The, the, the underlying reason that you're losing fat is because you're creating a caloric deficit. And it's like, there's like a lot, of, a lot of paths that lead towards Rome. And yeah, intermittent fasting can lead towards Rome. If, if by you intermittent fasting, you're eating less calories, but it's not the intermittent fasting that is doing it. It's the eating less calories that is actually creating the, the result that, you're, that you want. So... What did you guys think about intermittent fasting? I asked on Instagram and again, it was very bifurcated. Some people really love it. Some people hate it. Uh, the people who love it, they, a lot of people talk about how um, it feels. And, uh, and I think this is very similar to just eating like low carbohydrate. If you've ever done keto before, people will talk about the keto flu and that is like the, the first little while while you're doing keto, you feel terrible because your body has a dearth of glucose that it's used to burning. And for a lot of people that f- you feel terrible, you feel cranky, you feel hungry, you feel tired, you feel lethargic, you feel kind of like you have the flu. But then a lot of keto proponents will say, after you get through the flu, you feel great like energy levels up, like you feel amazing. And so some people experience that same thing with intermittent fasting. They're like, I like it because I feel really great doing it, which is great. I love that. Love that for them. Um, some people said it's really helpful because they, they don't like breakfast anyway. They're not really a big breakfast fan. So intermittent fasting just is like super easy for them. Uh, other people like it because they um, don't like to think about food all day long. And so just having a window where it's like a shorter window to think about food, that was helpful for them. But then on the other side, there was plenty of people who said, hey, I tried it. It felt way too restrictive. I tried it. I didn't like ignoring my hunger cues. I tried it and I was super cranky. <laughs> um, I tried it and I, when I would break my fast, I would just binge. And um, some people were like, it's really hard with a work schedule, especially if your work schedule continually changes. If you're something like a nurse or a physician, you're working like 12 hour shifts. It can be really challenging, you know, keeping that, that same window. So that was, that was your, your take on it. What's my take on it? I think just like carb cycling, and hopefully this is, you're getting this hammered into your brain that just because something's more complicated doesn't mean it works better. I'm all for you intermittent fasting because you love it, because you enjoy it and it makes you feel good and it fits your lifestyle and it works for you. And you think it's just like, it's just fun. You just like it. Knock yourself out. I love it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to do things that you like, but I don't want you intermittent fasting or carb cycling thinking it's going to be the key, the thing that is going to lead you to better results. It's not. 
I can confidently say neither carb cycling nor intermittent fasting are going to be the one thing that you add or change that is going to make all of the difference in the world. So just like carb cycling, can we layer on intermittent fasting? Can we mess around with it? Can we try it? Can we experiment with it with our body? 110%. I love that. I am always trying to get my clients to be able to use themselves as experiments and see what works for them. I mean, that's a lot of what we teach inside of Macros 101. How do you do that experimenting with your body? How do you read your body? How do you get the data and feedback from your body and be able to put your scientist hat on and analyze what's going on with your body and then make decisions moving forward that's going to be the best for you, for you. That's what I teach. So I love it. Let's Let's experiment. But let's do it from a really like our science goggles on and recognize that these things are not going to be make or break you. Let's go back to the basics. Are you sleeping? Are you getting a fiber? Are you eating, you know, whole foods? Are you getting enough fruits and vegetables? Are you limiting your stress? Are you working out? You know, if you've checked all of those boxes and it's like, yes, 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 yes. Okay, cool. Let's test out. Let's try carb cycling. Let's try intermittent fasting. Let's do all those things. Great. Intermittent fasting, I feel like is a little bit, it's a little less complex well, that's a little, it's a lot less complex, let's be honest, than carb cycling is. So I also think maybe I would be more uh, a, you know, willing to entertain a client intermittent fasting at the beginning with macro counting if it's something that they're like, I just really like doing it. I just like thinking about food less. I like limiting my time. I don't feel hungry during the time. I'm not like miserable and starving. I just really like it. Cool. Knock yourself out. Carb cycling. I want you to, to have a good handle on macro counting before you try to start to layer it on with carb cycling. Now, the one thing that I will say, and this actually played out when I asked about intermittent fasting, here's my thing with intermittent fasting. I think intermittent fasting works better as a lifestyle when you're in a deficit. However, you should not be in a deficit for most of your life. Your, your deficit should be a very short part of your life. Most of your life should be spent at maintenance. At maintenance, really. Like So after the cut, we go into a reverse and then we spend time at maintenance. And what I hear from a lot of people who intermittent fast is that as they reverse up, as they get more calories, as they eat more calories, as they get up to maintenance, it can be really hard to fit the amount of food and the amount of calories that you need to be consuming into a short eating window. And so that, I think that is something that's really important is like, maybe if you're going to be using intermittent fasting, it's something to experiment with when you're in a deficit. But if you are now having to choose between an eating window and like fueling your body with enough calories during maintenance so that you can build muscle and feel really great, it might, you might need to extend that eating window so that you can get the number of calories in that your body needs. Okay, so if you want to try out intermittent fasting, how do you do it? Well, the first thing is that you select your your feeding versus fasting window. A lot of people, I think one of the most common um, patterns is a 16-8, meaning you fast for 16 hours and then your feeding window is an eight-hour period of time. And I, I, you know, I've, I would say more than half of people who do intermittent fasting default to that. But it's not the only way to do it, right? You can have a, a 10-hour feeding window. You can have a 12-hour feeding window. Some people will even do it in days. Like they will, um, they will eat five days normally and then do two days of fasting or do like a four days on and then a one-day fast. Um, there's all kinds of patterns that you can do with with fasting and, and feeding. So, um, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot of advice as to like where to start. I think start maybe with the, the eight and 16, or maybe start with the 12 and 12, right? Start, start making it easy on yourself. <laughs> Let's not start with the hardest one. Let's start with the easiest one, like start with the 12 and 12. And then if you feel good, maybe move to a 10 and, you know, 14, and then maybe try an eight and 16 and see how you feel. The most important thing is to pay attention to how you feel, how your body's responding, you know, is this something that you can see yourself doing for a long time? Is it super freaking hard? Um, you know, play around with it. But that's basically the essence of intermittent fasting. It's just like you pick your feeding, you pick your fasting window, and then you stick to it and you uh, eat what you want to during that period. Now, I, I will say, you know, carb cycling almost always needs to be like layered with macro counting. Intermittent fasting is often done completely separate of macro counting. And the idea is, is that, it makes it it makes creating a caloric deficit for some people easier because 
they simply are limiting the time that they can eat. So the idea is like, I don't have to track, I don't have to pay attention to what food I'm eating. I'm just going to pay attention to the window that which I'm eating and I can eat whatever I want during that period of time. And then, uh, you know, not eat during the fasting. And the idea is hopefully cross fingers, you'll be in a caloric deficit because of that, because you've just shortened your eating window. Now, just like I said um, before, intermittent fasting in of itself is not the thing that creates weight loss. If intermittent fasting causes you to eat less calories and creates a caloric deficit, then you're going to see fat loss. But plenty of people can do intermittent fasting and can eat all of their calories that their body needs and their body is going to use in a day or even more during that eight-hour period. And if that's the case, you're not going to see any fat loss. You're not going to see any change because the intermittent fasting in of itself does not create fat loss. It is if the intermittent fasting creates a caloric deficit then you have fat loss. So if you are applying, you know, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about integrating the two, right? integrating intermittent fasting with, car- or with um, macro counting, then the goal is to eat all of those macros within that window. So really the only reason you would be doing it is because you, it makes you feel more full or it keeps you more satiated or you feel less hunger because you're eating in a window. But again, whether you eat 1500 calories in a eight hour window or 1500 calories in a 23 hour window, they're going to produce the same amount of weight loss. And that's very well supported in the research. Okay. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is I don't hate carb cycling. I don't hate intermittent fasting but it's not the end all be all. It never will be. And if there's something that you want to try out, knock yourself out, but do it from a perspective of like, I want to see if this makes me feel better. I want to see if this helps me with consistency. I want to see if this helps me have more energy. I want to see if this helps me feel less hungry rather than, oh, this is going to be the thing that's going to make or break my weight loss goals. It's just not. Neither of them is going to make or break your weight loss goals. And if you find yourself carb cycling and you're miserable, girlfriend, I give you permission to stop. It's not the magic pill. And if you're doing intermittent fasting and you hate it, I, you don't need my permission, but I give you my permission to stop. Okay. You can do what is going to be best for you and your body. And that to me is the key. None of these are magic. Some of them can like make it more enjoyable for some people. And I'm all for that. I don't hate you if you carb cycle or intermittent fast, but let's not trick ourselves into thinking just because it's harder, just because it's more complicated, that it's going to work better because that just ain't the case. Cool. We good? (laughs) We're still friends (laughs) at the end of of these rant episodes. Uh, I hope that that was helpful. I hope it was informative. I hope that you feel like you have a little bit better handle on these two things that you'll probably hear a lot about from your friends and from Instagram and from, you know, influencers of people who are doing these things. And uh, my goal is, again, is for you to be able to make an informed decision. I don't really care what your decision is as long as you feel like it's going to work for you and it's, and it's informed. And that's really my goal is to hopefully you're leaving this podcast episode feeling a little bit like you understand carb cycling and intermittent fasting a little bit better. If you enjoyed this episode, will you do me a solid and go onto the platform that you're listening to this and leave a rating and review? Those rating and reviews are a way that you can thank me as a free, I'm giving out free content for you. And if you want to say thank you for the time and energy that's spent putting out free content in the world, the best way that you can do that is by leaving a rating and review on the podcast and by sharing this episode. So if you want to say thank you, those are the two ways to do it. Leave a rating and review and share this podcast episode with some, someone. And then remember, we have Confidence in Your Numbers coming up. Uh, I only do this class live twice a year, so it's a special time. If you're interested in learning how to set and adjust your macros, this is something that most coaches don't teach you because they want you to pay them forever. (laughs) They want you to pay them to adjust your macros. So if you want to learn how to become your own coach and to set and adjust your macros on your own without having to pay someone continually, then Confidence in Your Numbers is for you. It is currently on sale for $99. It was only for a limited time. The class will be July 28th. So if you are interested in coming and attending live, head to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash confidence. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember, my friend, you can do anything. Hey friend, have you heard the news? We have a Biceps After Babies Radio insider list. 
If you love Biceps After Babies Radio, you don't want to miss a thing. Head to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash insider to join the group. You'll be the first to know all things about the podcast, see some behind the scenes, and get special messages from yours truly. We want to make this a special community for those who are fans of the podcast. And last, did this episode particularly resonate with you? If so, will you please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your family and friends why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at Biceps After Babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.